Hello world, how is it going? I am soaking in the last few days here in California before heading back home to Portland. It has been so nice to get a little sunshine, heading home a tiny bit fitter than I was when I arrived a couple weeks ago, which is a small victory, something I hope to build on when I get home. But I hope you all are doing great wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, my name is Dylan Bowman. And today we are sharing an interview I recorded last week with the great Claire Gallagher, the champion trail runner from Boulder, Colorado, who is just coming off another awesome victory in her career, that being a first place finish at the Black Canyon 100K just a couple weeks ago in the desert in Arizona. Claire should need no introduction to this crowd. She is only 30 years old, but she really is already one of the most decorated ultra runners in the world, at least over the past six or seven years. She's a Leadville champion, a Western States champion, a CCC champion, among many other things. Um, But I think what I and what most of us love most about Claire is that in addition to being a great champion, she's also wise and hilarious and generally just a good example for us to follow as to how to use your platform to do good in your community and in the world. This honestly is one of my favorite episodes ever, I have to say. We cover a lot of stuff from her recent love affair with diving to her abandonment of social media, her low volume training, why she doesn't feel like she'll make a living as a pro athlete much longer. Of course, we talk about the Black Canyon race, why she didn't take the golden ticket and a lot more. This was really a fun conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. As always, the Free Trail Podcast is made possible with the support of our presenting sponsor, that being Speedland, the small boutique trail footwear startup from Portland, Oregon, and the best trail running shoe ever produced, the SLPDX, my shoe of choice, produced by this great tiny independently owned company the speedland guys are running an awesome giveaway right now for a trip to oregon to run the gorge waterfalls race that's put on by us at free trail along with our partners at daybreak racing it is perhaps the most generous giveaway you will ever encounter it includes a flight to portland a race entry a pair of the slpdx a race kit dinner with the founders and myself, food and lodging for the entire weekend, and much more. You can check out the giveaway if you're interested in coming to the race at runthegorge.runspeedland.com. The entry period ends next Monday. That's February 28th, with the winner being announced the following day, March 1st. And if you are in need of a pair of shoes, go to runspeedland.com. Put in code FREETRAIL15, capital F, FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchases of the SLPDX. Thank you so much to Speedland for their support of the show. On with the program. I hope you all enjoy catching up with the great Claire Gallagher. We'll catch you in the outro. Well, Claire Gallagher, hello. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hey, Debo. Thanks so much for having me. What's up, dude? Are you back in Boulder, Colorado? It looks like uh, you're uh, broadcasting from your uh, your apartment there or something. 
Yep, I am. I don't know if you can see my cat, Mermaid. Hey, Mermaid. <laughs> Sleep on the bed. Yeah. She's happy mommy's home. Yeah. yeah, I'm in Boulder. <laughs> yeah, we're in California, and I've got both my two oh. exhausted dogs here, too. Hopefully they don't uh, interrupt our conversation. But, dude, you're you're back in Boulder after another incredible, victorious run at the Black Canyon 100K over the weekend. How's it feel to be home? Are you still on cloud nine? Uh, yeah, uh, it was, it was a fantastic nine hours in the desert. (laughs) (laughs) I love hot weather and I mean, it's sunny here. I love where I live, so I'm happy here too. (laughs) Uh, life's good. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And, you know, we'll go into the whole race experience. I want to get the full blow by blow, but I want to start on sort of the, the personal and professional front. Last time you and I talked, you were sort of like doing some work for Patagonia. You were thinking about going to law school. What's happening in the life of Claire Gallagher before we get into the running stuff? Yeah, I remember it was about a year ago. I was studying for the else. <laughs> I have managed to attempt to go into every type of graduate school and I finally have landed I think, fingers crossed, I'll know in a couple of weeks, um, but not to law school, but uh, to grad school. So like specifically for marine biology, but why I was interested in law school was marine policy, like what we do as homo sapiens to our our oceans, you know, which is like 70% of this planet. Um, but not a lot of law schools like focus on that because most of it's international law. And I happen to find this one professor in at Boulder, CU Boulder, who mm-hmm. is this badass mover and shaker in the fields of marine protection policy. And uh, so hopefully, hopefully I'll I'll start I'll start grad school. You know, you start with a master's, maybe go the PhD route um, in the fall. Awesome. And yeah. marine conservation has always been somewhat of a passion of yours. Is that how Mermaid got her name also? <laughs> you betcha. My other cat's name is Manta Ray. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. So what about what about the marine stuff uh, inspires you rather than other types of conservation work? Yeah, it's 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 not the first thing that comes to mind when, you know, most people talk to me because it's like, yeah, I'm a professional runner. I, I run long races in the mountains. Uh, but for four years when I was uh, in undergrad out of New Jersey, I was studying coral, not in New Jersey, not to get confusing. <laughs> um, <laughs> the beautiful but... coral reefs of Newark, New Jersey, New Jersey. Yeah. There's, there's, there's diving out there, but yeah. um, I was studying in the tropics. So I would I spent a whole summer in Bermuda, summer in Palau, and I mean, Dylan, have you have you been snorkeling? Tell I, me, tell I, me your experience. I'm an amateur snorkeler. I've done okay. it. Uh, it's actually probably been about five years since the last time I snorkeled in Mexico, actually, and it was a fantastic experience. We saw whales. We saw all sorts of oh. awesome marine life. Uh, I've never done scuba. But um, I know, you know, you've been sort of active in the diving world yourself. So I don't know, give me the sales pitch about why I need to take my marine (laughs) recreation more seriously. 
Well, that's sweet. You've you saw whales. Uh, you know, talk about. I lost it, it too. Spiritual yeah, like, experience. Spiritual experience. <laughs> oh man, I'm totally stoked. For, I've never seen whales in the water. I'm like, I'm living through this right now. Um, yeah. So, well, one, I think you have freediving in your future because freediving is like the more physical, mental version of scuba diving you can't do the exact same stuff because it's on one breath yeah. you know you're not chilling at 40 feet for an hour yeah. like you are on scuba but uh it's it's been my total it's been my vice the last few years like Your i got vice? certified in yeah in boulder at this dive shop called ocean first. And of course there's like this sweet instructor from Florida who totally knows his shit and he dives really deep and it's, it's a, it's a meditation. It's a spiritual experience. And then, you know, then I can say so being in a kind of loosey goosey situation right now, I've been able to spend time in Hawaii the last two winters. Yeah. So, so that's been just like pure, Oh, just such a gift. Can we talk about it a little bit? Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. from what I know about free diving, you obviously have to be good in the water, but it also requires emotional control, psychological control, because as you said, it is one breath. And when your brain senses that it's running out of oxygen, there can be an instinct or a reflex to panic. And when you're free diving, of course, that can be a dangerous situation. Talk about the training that goes into these free dives and maybe what meditative or stress relieving properties you've seen in your life. Yeah. So most people think, oh, well, how long can you hold your breath? And that training comes, it comes relatively quickly. Uh, not quickly, but it can come, especially for someone who's like running as much as you or I do. Uh, but that's not the limiting factor. Like, to be honest, I don't do dry land apnea training. That's like breath hold training. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, uh, because my baselines, like, I don't even know what my baseline is right now. Probably, I don't know, my PR is five minutes. So it's probably like 3.30 or something, maybe mm -hmm. four minutes. Um, but that doesn't matter because when you're in the water, depth is the limiting factor. Okay. Like it, it, it and that because requires pressure. Exactly. Okay. Pressure and equalization. And that requires repetitive training at depth. So the short answer is I'm not really training that much because I would have to live on the water and do this for month long stints. You know, you can't just go blow, blow your muscles up for like a week and then be like good to go to 150 feet. At least like I can't, um, I'd have to, you know, basically move to the water for six months and, and do, you know, strong training. And some people do, they do it for maybe like a month. Um, freediving, man, it it's is one of those such things. It, it like becomes kind of part of people's identity and lifestyle, much like trail running does. Totally. It? It's, yeah. it's, there's so many similarities between the freediving world and ultra running. I think freedivers are actually a lot like a little bit quirkier because there's, because there's fewer of them for one. Yeah. And 
If you're competing, you're really only looking at a line in the water column. And that doesn't interest me as much as being able to go look at coral, look at fish, manta rays. Maybe I get the chance to counter to to see a spot of spinner dolphins and, you know, and then my life is complete and I can, you know, it's, I'm Sink to the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like I've, I've made it. Um, so that's my interest and, and like, this is not, it, it's, it's, it takes that mental component of cleaning your slate. You know, yeah. you can't go into the water, even if you're going down just for like 30 seconds with the stress of life, the stress of COVID, like, yes. you know, work stress, whatever you have to clean your slate when you're in the water. And that is why I'm totally addicted to it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and that breath hold component helps with kind of stilling your internal voice a little bit, doesn't it? I know because I've done like some breath work training and just sort of doing some of the practices, just laying on the ground in the living room with Harmony. We do it occasionally. And it really does have a beautifully calming feeling uh, to it once once you've done it. And I know that part of the free diving practice is practicing the breath holds and doing the breath work and doing sort of like the oxygen saturation prior to diving. It's uh, yeah. it's something that intrigues me. Maybe you can uh, take me for a trip one day. I'm 100% down. <laughs> so, I don't know if I'll ever guide a trail running camp, but I will guide a free diving <laughs> camp in a heartbeat. <laughs> Maybe um, we can combine the two, yeah. Yeah, it's also like you know, you can get into the physical sports physiology, almost like Wim Hof as types of, yeah, um, yeah. I know we, we met, <laughs> I remember meeting Wim Hof with you. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Um, and, but there's an element of mindfulness that is so core to, I think just what it means to be human and sentient and have consciousness that, I'm not holding my breath when I'm like sitting on my couch in the morning, but I've gotten a lot more practice in just being mindful in the moment. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks to this practice of cleaning my brain and like being able to just sit and be with myself and look out the window. And, And it's all part of the same thing, you know, and it's all part about spending like 10 hours out on a trail and you're just like, yeah. You know, it's, there's, it's all connected. Yeah, no doubt. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is a perfect place to start because it kind of touches on a lot of the things that I wanted to talk with you about. I've been reading your blogs and you've been intentionally also, (laughs) I, I think, as you mentioned, sort of stilling your mind and calming your nervous system. You've also intentionally sort of changed your interaction with the world digitally. And we'll get into that in a sec, but, you know, maybe to touch on running a little bit before we go too deep. Um, you've been a little bit quiet on the, the competition front. Obviously, you're just coming off an amazing victory at the Black Canyon 100K, but the last thing I remember you doing was sort of slogging out a tough 17th place finish at Western States last year. What have the last like six or seven months been like on the running front for you? Yeah. I mean, that's kindly, you're, you're putting it kindly. It's, it's been a bit of a wash of a couple of years, like Uh really since 2019. Um, yeah, it's not to say I haven't been running, 
I've been relatively healthy this whole time, which is a huge blessing. Uh, but yeah, States was an absolute monster. <laughs> Walking so, 30 miles at the what, end of States. Oh what my what God. happened there? I never got the, the story Dude, from you. I still don't even know. It was a, it was a combination of just like, you know, I think 10 little things that all added up yeah. like a fall early on blown quads early on, um, bad nutrition early on, like nothing that exciting, but this is like why we do ultras. Right. And I'm like, Oh crap. Like this is going to be one of those races for me where like (laughs) kudos to you for slogging it out, Claire. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people who being in your position, coming back as the defending champion with, you know, at least some pressure to, kind of revalidate that victory or prove that it wasn't a fluke, quote unquote. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, nobody feels that way, but I'm sure you put a little bit of pressure on yourself in that regard. And so was there any pressure or was there any temptation to to call it a day there at Western States rather than slog it out? Of course, the temptation starts at like mile 10, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you're like, damn, I don't, I don't know if today's going to be my day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I DNF'd there in 2017 at mile 93 and I was so naive. I mean, even though I've been doing this now for like six years, I didn't know anything <laughs> those first few years. That's when like we met yeah. and it's like, I was just soaking everything up for people like you, Rory Bazio, Steph How, you know, Rob Carr, like yeah. all these people. And I'm just, um, not to say that's why I DNF'd at mile 93 in 2017, but that was a, I think, a something that has stuck with me that I don't want to have happen again yeah. at States, knowing, knowing how important States is to this community, to, to me, you know, the whole thing. And yeah. I had like all these buddies fly out, you know, last summer. I'm like, man, they didn't come here to watch me you know, like eat pho at like 2 PM because David Roche, my coach is like, you know, I just wanted, he's so great too. It's so hard for him to see his athletes like walk it in. Right. Cause he's like, yeah, I want you to stop. But like, I also know you don't want to stop and you should definitely finish, but like, (laughs) we should also maybe just go get pho. (laughs) Really? (laughs) But I mean, no, he was like definitely finished, but, uh, you know, we all have supportive either way. Right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Kudos to my buddy, Mikey. Oh God. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I mean, I think it sets a good example too, Claire. I mean, obviously there's a time and a place to pull the plug. You had experienced that at Western States all the way down at mile 93. You pulled the plug a few years ago before winning and bringing home a cougar trophy and then yeah you rounded out the trifecta with another tough one 17th place (laughs) finish but it does i think it's a you know it's a spiritual journey and it's a moral victory to make the finish line on a tough day like that and i just did that for the first time myself in october at the grand raid that was the first time i really had to like slog it out and there's definitely value in doing it but you know, in addition to sort of being quiet on the competition front, you've also been quiet on the internet front. And (laughs) I know this has been a really sort of intentional pivot or an intentional change of your online presence and your digital consumption. And I think you've written about it a lot on your website. So I just want to open the door to this conversation because I think it could be really valuable for people. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So the last few, in addition to not having a lot of running competitions the last few months, um, I've, I've just started to ask myself, like, why do I do certain things? Like, what, what am I doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why, how do one, how do I spend my time? Like, what am I doing when I'm like talking about running? Like what, how am I being an environmentalist? Just like, I think basic questions we all ask ourselves, at least I'm, I'm guessing most of us do. And I'll be honest, I don't think I really started asking these questions until the last six months, call it a bit of like a come to come to some realization moment. I don't know what it is, but we're always on this journey. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'll fully admit like the digital world, social media, like got me the career I have today. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I also won a bunch of races (laughs) and, but being able to be savvy online, um, you know, create our personal like brands, this type of thing, um, you know, get people excited about running. Like, I think that's fantastic. Like, I feel so grateful that that was a part of my twenties and our sport is blowing up, you know, like our sport, there's people doing our sport left and right. And that excites me. Um, but I, I've started to see a bit of an end road for me personally in what it means to be a professional runner. Um, I like, don't see myself staying like, you know, paying my rent, uh, through running really long into the future. And so, wow. so it's sort of, yeah, like I, I still would like to compete at a high level and we'll see like if, my sponsors have been very supportive. Um, I mean, my employer, I still work for Patagonia. Yeah. I want to talk about that eventually. Let's remember to talk about that. Okay. Um, but I, I basically was like, you know, I don't get that much joy out of like being online scrolling. I, I feel like I haven't even seen a lot of my running buddies because the last few years, and I want to basically force myself to have more intentional, one-on-one, whether it's like a phone call, a text, um, if people want to know what I'm up to, like they can, you know, that's what friends do. We like talk, right? Uh, (laughs) Or subscribe to your newsletter, which I just did. (laughs) Your blog. I mean, so, I mean, keep, keep going, but I want to, I want to talk about like, cause it's not like you've given up on the world. You've sort of like scrubbed your Instagram profile, but talk about this like intentional change with how you're interacting with the internet. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of like nuance to it, right? Cause there's no silver bullet to anything, but basically I got pretty disturbed at what Facebook now meta, you know, has figured out that their products do to the youth to, and to all people. Yeah. And you can just like look on like Google scholar and type in like social media and mental health. Right. <laughs> and, and we all shake our heads. Yes. We know, you know, it doesn't really make me feel awesome. Um, like, I hope the, the teens are okay. Like, what about, you know, these like kind of sketchy correlations between mental health and, and screen time. And I've been like, you know, just shaking my head at that for the last few years. You know, everyone watched Social Dilemma. It's like, okay, we know, we know this. 
Um, but I think for me, I'm like, okay, if I want to be a role model in a way I like feel super stoked on right now in 2022, I want to show some like, I don't know, 22 year old runner that, Hey, if it stresses you out to be online constantly in these very premeditated forms, right? Like I have a blog that's not premeditated, but I'm saying these companies, that sort of put our creativity into little boxes, um, which is great for some people. Like yeah. totally, totally respect There's that. There's definitely positives others, to it, but I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Information sharing. I mean, the activism side, there's positives. So it's not, again, it's not a silver bullet, but I want to show people that like you can still run at a high level. You can still We'll see how long I, I make money off of it <laughs> without social media. <laughs> but uh, yeah. like you can still be whatever in this scene somewhat relevant and and do it maybe in a more analog way. Yeah. Like that's basically what I'm testing right now. And to be honest, Dylan, I mean, yeah, since I like scrub my Instagram, dude, I'm I have not been happier. Really? In like five years. Like, I mean, there's also other good things going on in my life, but I, I like, feel like my attention span has gotten better. Wow. That's really, Um, that's really cool, Claire. And I mean, I think you're always a leader. You've probably always been like that in your life. And I think this is sort of, I mean, you could call it risky as a professional athlete, but also, I mean, if you think of like Jim Walmsley's not the type of guy who's always online tooting his horn or whatever, he's probably not spending a ton of time just like doom scrolling either and he makes a good career out of it and I think as long as you want to be a professional athlete there's going to be people who will want to support you especially somebody with the voice and the mission that you have and I was actually curious about that too because I know being a professional athlete a professional female athlete online always comes with creeps or whatever but also when you have sort of this vocal environmental and social justice mission that you're talking about. I'm sure you probably get a fair share of obnoxious, potentially hurtful criticism online as well. Did that play into your decision to distance yourself from social media? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, nothing like directly hurtful towards me, Mm -hmm. but I think it was asking myself, like, what am I consuming and what echo chambers am I, um, hiding in? Like, I, I don't want to just listen to people who agree with me. And I think I found over the last few years, a lot of my knowledge base of, of say environmental issues, it's not as deep as some people might think. At mm-hmm. least that's what I felt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can read a couple articles about, say, like a mining issue on like sacred native land. Um, but like, I want to make sure I know like the details of this and and reading long four pieces and, and not just a couple sentences from, um, you know, the leaders in that. And that's, and I get that a lot of people, that's all they're going to, gonna like read and ingest over like controversial or contested issues uh it's just I realize it's just like not my style yeah like I I I want to push myself to like you know read read authors that I don't really see eye to eye with and and um yeah 
Yeah. And have a little more like empathy for everyone. Like, I'm just, I'm just yeah. talking into the void here. Like just, <laughs> you know, pick a topic and, yeah. and so. I mean, I yeah. think it's an important topic of conversation because social media is so ubiquitous now. And when you have a following and when you use your voice, there's going to be a lot of people who want to tear you down or want to have a debate and want to, for lack of a better word, hurt your feelings. And it sucks, dude. It sucks. And really, for the first time in my career, I'm starting to get like a decent amount of it because mm. I like publish podcasts and say things in the world, you know, yeah. for, the, for really the first time in, in my career. And dude, it just like makes me hate my cell phone and makes me want to throw it out the window every day. But I think I I have a, a decent... Uh, hold on on it and an ability to i think separate the noise from the signal so to speak but mm. it is a i mean it's a tough thing to consider and i think you know all of us the listeners you and i struggle with it to a, a certain degree and it's crazy to think about the next generation of people who are growing up natively inside these social media platforms and to think about what the potential consequences of it are because it's kind of scary but Let's stop talking right. about social media. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And on that, I think it's like, ultimately, everyone will know what's right for them. Yeah. And I think that's if if people are like wondering, oh, what should I do? It's like, don't ask me. The answer is in yourself. Yeah. Like, you know, like you're, you know, you're deeply, deeply in the ultra running community. You know, you're yeah. a pundit, you're an elite athlete, you're, you're every, you're all of the above. Right businessman and so it's like yeah you probably have to decide that like you're gonna have to deal with this like yeah. the you know the haters and whatnot and you know deep down your worth yeah. and you also don't have to respond to the haters <laughs> yeah. no you know like that, that's been the hard part because i want to be very defensive exactly. and and very mean uh in return but anyway <laughs> let's yeah. i want to talk more yeah. about this like what you just said about you not expecting yourself to be paid as a professional athlete or be making your living necessarily as a professional athlete long-term. Mm. You also mentioned that for a while now, you've actually held like sort of an employment role with Patagonia as well. And mm. I think this is really the wave of the future for really 360 degree athlete relationships with their brand partners. So talk about what you're doing with Patagonia and sort of what the long-term career path is that you see ahead of you, if you can predict such a thing? Yeah. So Patagonia employs a handful of ambassadors. So, and ambassadors are typically like what, um, a sponsored athlete would be. So it's like a contract based, um, yeah, a sponsored athlete more or less. Although Yvonne Schnard doesn't like the term athlete. I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why they're called ambassadors. Yeah. Um, so, but a few of them, a few of us are employees basically to, to go a little bit deeper on whether it's the marketing side or the environmental campaign side. So most people are well aware of the climber, Tommy Codwell. Yep. <laughs> if you're not, look him up, Google him. <laughs> World's best rock climber. Uh, so he's at, uh, you know, Tommy's on a different level than me, always will be. He's in his 40s now, and he's really dug deep onto getting in the, into the campaigns that Patagonia is working on environmentally um, and just seeing where he can throw his, his weight around. 
And so that's like a, the sort of marquee example mm-hmm. of that kind of role while also like attending, uh, you know, the, the corporate marketing like meetings yeah, <laughs> and, and talking about minute of campaigns and things. So, and that's essentially what I've been doing as well, but since I'm not Tommy Codwell, uh, <laughs> and come on, very differently for, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're well, being just, modest. This is a no humility yeah. zone on the podcast. I mean, you're yeah. Western uh, States champion, you're CCC <laughs> champ. You're one of the best of I'm, our generation. I'm dude. Sort of, thanks, Evo. I'm, I'm explaining sort of the spread though, of these em- employees at Patagonia. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so in the last few years, I have sort of leaned more into the marketing side of things, um, for whatever handful of different reasons. And, uh, it's been fascinating, really, really interesting to see how much work goes into campaigns and, um, how much the people at Patagonia truly, truly care about like grassroots environmental issues. Um, so, but in this journey, I've also realized, like, I'm not cut out for this type of job. Okay. And, like, I am not made to work in marketing or the outdoor industry, I think. Um, uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and it kind of makes sense. Like, I I was, like, a science geek in college. All yeah. my friends were like, oh, Claire, like, when are you going scuba diving? You know, like, that's what my, my running teammates knew me as. It was like, where are you going now? And so in the last few years, I've just been sort of trying to listen to my heart and see, you know, where, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And, and I've had so much support from, you know, my manager at Patagonia, the people I work with to, to explore that. And that's, that's why I'm, I'm trying to get back into science and but specifically the, the policy yeah. policy. So, um, I, is there, I is there it, a path within the Patagonia architecture to where you could potentially move out of the marketing side of things more into the environmental side of things? Um, or do you think you want to do something totally different? Yeah. Well, first off, I gotta, I gotta go like learn some more stuff. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> I gotta, I gotta learn more about like how our oceans work, how, how the UN like operates, um, sure. protecting these seas. Like our, our seas are just the wild west right now. It's, it's pretty gnarly. And so I'm, that's why I'm focusing on just like uh-huh. getting back into school, uh, filling my brain with that kind of stuff for now. Um, and yeah, I, Patagonia is just like, so, so supportive. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but, um, yeah, yeah, I, I like to, you know, stay working with them as closely as possible for as long as I can. Good. Good. No, I think it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a really good move for them and for any brand. And it's really kind of what I'm doing now in this new phase of my career. And David Laney, yeah. David Laney posted last week, you, you're not on Instagram, but I'll tell you, David Laney posted last <laughs> week, his, his new partner, Craft Sportswear, he took a uh-huh. job with them doing, I think, some sales work. But for the three of us, I think it helps us to feel a deeper sense of involvement, a deeper sense of loyalty to really inject our knowledge and experience into the marketing and the product and really creates a powerful athlete brand relationship that you don't get just by like paying somebody to wear your shirts and your shoes, right? 
Is there anything totally. there that you want to yeah. talk about just in terms of how your work in the marketing department with Patagonia has maybe helped you feel a little bit more part of the mission or things that you've learned from them and that they've learned from you? Um, yeah, well, I guess it's not specific to marketing, but within Patagonia, like the, the product testing is so phenomenal. Mm. Like that's, I think one of my favorite parts of being a runner and, and then working with a brand that's making products. And I wonder, I'm curious how it is with you in Speedland, because that's what you're talking about. Like, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And other stuff yeah, that I can't yeah. talk about, yeah. but <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm like, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, um, it is, it's like where you feel you know. that you're not just an athlete, right? Like you're a partner, like totally. you're an employee, like you're actually making a difference, not just getting a yeah. box of clothes and shoes. Right. And that your experience of spending, you know, X many hours out there, really means something. And, and I have so much respect for designers. Mm -hmm. So, so, so much respect, like the amount of effort it takes to make a pair of black spandex women's running shorts. It's, it's <laughs> insane. And, and it's like, when you buy a good piece of clothing that lasts you for, you know, years on end, and you can spend 5,000 miles in that thing. And, you know, and you're, and your your butt's a happy butt or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, it it gives me hope for you know our generation is sort of seeing this new wave of like less consumerism, more conscious consumerism. You know, we're not just like trying to buy the cheapest shit like a yeah. hundred times over. And and that makes me so excited to be a part of that more than anything. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. Are you guys training for your next big race? Has the 2022 season started yet? Well, Gnarly Nutrition gets it. They know where you're at because this is a team filled with mountain sport athletes, just like you and I, and with a full line of NSF certified products that are natural, effective, and delicious. Gnarly knows what it takes to cross the finish line. So when you are planning your training nutrition, organizing your crew support and drop bags, or thinking about your post-run recovery, I would encourage you to reach for Gnarly Nutrition. You guys have heard me talk about the Fuel 2.0 drink mix a lot. I also love the Gnarly BCAAs. I have come to learn that branch chain amino acids are critical to muscle health and muscle recovery. And honestly, I've noticed a big difference in my recovery since I started using this drink mix on pretty much a daily basis. So check out the gnarly BCAAs, check out the Fuel 2.0, go visit gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. Gonarly.com, FREETRAIL15. The Free Trail Podcast is made possible by the Free Trail mobile app and the Free Trail community. Are you setting big goals for the 2022 season? Are you heading into spring training feeling like you could use a little extra guidance or a little extra support? If so, come join the Free Trail community and let us help you along your journey in this wonderful sport. You can find the app in the Android or iOS app stores and take advantage of all of our training plans, our how-to training content, our strength and movement programs, yoga, breath work, and so much more. We just put up a Trail 101 content program 
program on how to use poles effectively, how to get better running technical downhills, how to improve our climbing ability. And we also do community Zoom calls every Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. Pacific time, the highlight of my week. And you can get access to all of that for only $120 a year. That's right, only $10 a month. So go search for us in the App Store or visit freetrail.com and hit the button on the homepage that says download the app. We would love to have you part of the team. Thanks so much. Let's talk about your race this weekend, dude. You smashed it. You smashed it. Um, let's, uh, I know back in the fall, because I was reading your blog that you were sort of training up for a, a road marathon. You ultimately, I think, got injured or something. But talk about sort of when uh, Black Canyon landed on your radar and uh, sort of when the preparation started. Yeah, I was training for CIM, so California International Marathon, Fast Marathon, and uh, I've never done a road marathon. <laughs> and anyways, it just kind of, the, the road kind of wrecked me is like why I do trails, I guess. And yeah. it's, <laughs> trail running is awesome. And, and it was just such a bummer because I got so fit, you know, and you've been there, right? Where you're like so fit and you don't have a stage to, to test it and to, mm. and to rip it up on. And so I kind of was in this holding pattern for a couple months of just like, <sighs> I hope this all doesn't just like disappear, like, yeah. you know, but that's, I guess that's what happens as we get older, you know, we'll go through lots of peaks and valleys, but, um, I was able to figure out my like tip injury, uh, just basically a minor strain and, and so I said, let's, let's sign up for a winter ultra. Yeah. And I've been to black Canyon before I did it on, uh, the out and back rain year in 2017. Okay. It was totally miserable. It was like the most miserable day. <laughs> <laughs> one of my least favorite days of racing of all time. Um, <laughs> the cold bitter one I, I got, I eked in second that year, but I remember being like, man, I really wish I had seen this whole course. You know, I uh, hear such great things and it just was such a cold day, you know, and still like Jamil put on a great race. So I'm like, screw it. I'll just go back this year. Um, and so I never really had the intention of doing Black Canyon as uh, as a avenue to Western states. Yeah. I, this year, I've sort of been stoked to focus a lot of energy in summer mountain running season. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, we all get it, right? Like, there are only these three, four prime months of Alpine running in yeah. a year. And every time I've done States, it's been awesome more or less, but then I'm wrecked yeah. for the rest of the summer. I'm like the grumpy injured POS <laughs> that is like, kind of like, you know, looking at my friends going out for these sick runs in yeah. July. And I'm like, bummer. So I, I like, my endocrine system is still recovering. I just take a long time to recover. So this Western year, States like, takes a lot <laughs> out of you. I mean, yeah, emotionally, physically, the whole thing. I mean, so, cause you have to run so fast. I mean, on paper, it looks like this easy, fast course, but it's also a hundred degrees and you're like on the rivet the whole time. So you're completely yeah. blown afterwards. But anyway, I want to talk about that later when we start talking about sort of like why you declined the, the golden ticket, but you know, okay. you've sort of yeah. teased it now, but let's talk a little bit more about the training because, you know, for me seeing that you were training for CIM, obviously it seems like that type of training, once you got healthy again, 
you were really able to build off that speed block and come back and race 100K really well. But you've mentioned your coach, David Roche, a couple of times. And one of the things that I also just really love and admire about you is the fact that you're like a low volume trainer and that you and David really work together to like maximize bang for buck time and mileage wise with your training. And I think it's a great lesson for the younger athletes who are coming up in the sport. And even for people like me, to be honest, I mean, because it is easy to get caught up in how much volume are you doing and what's this guy or this gal doing and how do I compare? So talk about your guys's relationship and how you came to this strategy of sort of, I would call it moderate, low, moderate volume of training. Yeah. I've been with David for almost six years now. Uh, bit, it sounds weird. <laughs> we get you know? it. Yeah. 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 Uh, dear friends with his wife, Megan. God, I love, I love those too. Yeah. But so yeah, it's been a work, it's been an evolving process. Like it's, it's been something that I feel like David just is able to see people almost more before they can see themselves, you know? Mm. And, and that comes from like a spiritual sense, a love for running sense, also um, a physical sense. And, and so I, I mean, it's almost like, you know, I don't have words for it. Like mm -hmm. David is a genius. He is a total genius. And at certain points in the last six years, I have been frustrated because I'm like, I don't know about this, you yeah, know, yeah. like, like David, I'm on the edge, you know, I like, I, I get injured super easily. And every single time I feel like David is able to see a block. He's able to be like, are you stoked about this race? I always choose my races. Um, yeah. and then he builds it in and, and that's worked really well. And sometimes I choose really kind of not great racing schedules or he's like, Oh, okay, here we go. You know? And, um, we've, we've definitely excelled at nailing in these like adventure, hard effort runs a couple weeks before a race. That's like a, key, a marquee part. I feel like of David and Mai's, um, training, you know, he has all the classic swap stuff, six days a week, max. Yep. Um, uh, like I'm low mileage. There's just nothing much to say there, yeah. but one, one workout a week, roughly one long run a week. Um, but I did a 50 K this year in January, uh, three weeks before black Canyon. And it was like up, you up mean, a 13,000 foot monolith. Was that volcano. a, was that a race or was that just a personal 50? Oh, no, yeah. no, I like made that up. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> that was like a good test of the endurance and of the engine that you did on exactly. Hawaii. And time on feet. But like your, the biggest volume week was that week for you leading into Black Canyon where you yeah. did like a total of 82 miles and 32 of them were on this volcano run that you did. Yeah. And it really like, yeah. I mean, I haven't looked, I'm not the type of person that scrolls Strava and I get the sense that you're not either, but probably, you know, there's at least a few people in the field that are doing 50, 75% more training than that oh, per week. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So yeah. what do you think, what do you think, uh, <laughs> how do you think you're able to race at such a high level mm -hmm. on that type of volume? Is it simply the fact that David recognizes 
when you're excited, you race better, or when you have more energy, you race better. What do you think it is that makes you able to succeed with that level of training? Well, two things. First, uh, I don't really log, at least when I was in Hawaii for a month, I was not logging my dive time. And that adds to something. Okay. I don't know what it is, but it's it's like, it's this sacred time that I'm just like, I don't even know how you log free diving on Strava. So I'm like, I'm not logging this, you know, like what? <laughs> and, and so I know deep down in my heart, like I'm fit. Yeah. I feel so fit. Can like, you feel that while you're out. diving? Like, can you feel your aerobic fitness while you're underwater? I mean, you do a, you do a couple hours of run in the morning, you dive right after for an hour yeah. and then you go back out at sunset and dive for two hours. And, and I'm saying diving, basically like diving deep, snorkeling, messing around yeah. like that. That's just, that's just how you, I, I actually was putting in kind of a lot of volume, yeah. <laughs> like okay. not in the way that's going to make me injured, but I have like these three foot long fins, um, that made my legs just like, I don't uh. know what they did to my legs, but uh, <laughs> I definitely know that that type of volume was helping me. And I don't get that as much when I'm, when I'm here, like at home in Colorado, I try and swim in the pool. So that helps. Dude, um, I'm in California so, right now. I'm going to drive out to the beach <laughs> as soon as we're done and just dive as deep as I can <laughs> and try and Dude, duplicate yeah. your fitness. Around. Yeah. But do yeah, you ever feel like yeah. I don't know. Do you ever feel like you're not doing enough or do you ever get caught up okay. in the, in the volume of yeah. the competition, the training volume? So to, to answer your actual question, 100%, like uh, compared to pretty much all of my competitors, I am, I'm running more or less the least amount, maybe mm -hmm. not. I, I think Anne-Marie Madden, who is the coolest woman alive, uh, got third this past weekend. Yeah. She, she also is, keeps it pretty low, but she's a anesthesiologist and cardiac units. So she's like yeah. busy in her other way. <laughs> so I'm not doing that. I, I think it comes down to, you know, you, you gotta know where your sweet spot is. Yeah. I can't show up at the star line at black Canyon if I'm tired and injured. Like, yep. and it, it's just, you read enough about, endurance athletics especially in the heavy sport and there are going to be people who are the best in the world who aren't doing the most volume yeah. like this just is a thing you look at it in track races like i mean i i raced with a guy in college peter callahan he's he runs um for belgium in on the track he was so low volume he would sometimes only do races he's a many many times sub four minute miler Awesome. He would sometimes literally only race like on the track, run a three fifty eight, and then he would spin the rest of the week. Wow. And you know, that's an extreme example, yeah. right? I'm somewhere kind of towards his end, but I'm not anywhere near that. And yeah. then you have the pure volume people on the complete other end of the spectrum. And they might also be running, you know, super high. So yeah. it's like, this is a spectrum. And I think we do obsess, especially as ultra runners on that volume heavy end or vert end. And, um, it's just like, 
you got to you got to turn off the noise and just know what works for you. And you have it's hard to, though, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I always like to phrase it as training for a state of mind rather than a state of fitness, right? And when you feel it, mm. you you feel it, you know, and not being obsessed <laughs> with the numbers, but just like you know, you can you can start to get an instinct of when you're ready and when you're not. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily when you're doing the most that that feeling comes. It's when the other circumstances of your life are sort of playing out in the right way. And when your overall stress volume is low and when you can go out and dive for two hours in the evening and satisfy that passion as well. So anyway, I think it's a great, a great lesson. I love your little smirk because it's like I feel like you're thinking of those times in your life where you're like, yeah, we've yeah. been dialed. Like Dude. last summer at Hard Rock, 100%. you know, you, you yeah. walked in, you had swag, you yeah. were chill, but like stoked, and I was like, oh, Dylan's about to wreck house, you know. Yeah. But you also did train a ton because you you can you can lay on the miles, dude. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I've always been no, somebody yeah. more like you. I've always been somebody who does better on lower volume, consistent volume. And, you know, a few sort of um, strategic revs of the engine, for example, like your volcanic effort on Hawaii, I did the backbone trail a few months before hard rock. And so you have the, the big hard efforts as a stepping stone to the ultimate A goal. But for the most part, it's all just hitting singles and doubles every day. I'm never the type of person who's smashing workouts and whatever. Anyway, great lesson, great conversation. Let's talk about the race itself because it was pretty dramatic. And I uh, was able to watch a decent amount of the live stream on Saturday. And it seemed like the women's race was pretty exciting because you had Dominica out front all day. And then there was a big chase group of yourself, Amory Madden, Addie Bracey, Taylor Nolan, and, and many others. Um, talk us through sort of like how the race played out. Did, did Dominica go out front early and, and what was the dynamic like in the women's <laughs> field? Dylan, I didn't even see her. Really? Like I, 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 <laughs> Yeah, she was so far gone. I was real far back at the beginning. I was chatting. I really wanted to execute on my strategy, which was like chill. Like, you know, people say this over and over about Bach Canyon. Like it's a, it's carnage. Uh, it's a carnage type race. So um, what, yeah, I don't, I don't know what place I was in at like mile 10 or mile 20. And I did link in or kind of sink in with this group of it was early on it was Devin Yanko Taylor Nolan oh Anne Madden showed up another Canadian uh Catherine Short EU EO was in there at some point um and basically we were chatting Addie was ahead of us and then we eventually the group kind of started to to thin out you know and honestly, Anne-Marie Madden is the world's best pacer. Like I, this woman is so fast. She's great. And she huh? won't tell you that. Yeah. yeah. She's just, she's so, so great. And I'm like, Anne-Marie is so smart. I can't, I don't want to go too far ahead of Anne-Marie because mm-hmm. I know she'll catch me. <laughs> I know it. She's like back there, just like, oh, I can't go any faster. I'm like, look at, you know, she was only... She's mega consistent. Yeah, she's not the type of person that blows up. 
Yeah, just so consistent. So that was really, really fun. We were in a group. Uh, the last I was with a group, it was with Anne Marie, Addie, and uh, Catherine Short. And then I happened to get to this aid station. It was about mile 31. Um, and I went straight to like the water bucket and they like went straight to like get water and, or to, and I wanted to get, get washed down. Right. Yeah. And get away. And, um, and so I was out of there first by whatever stroke of luck, whatever. And then I looked back and I'm like, oh, they're kind of taking a minute. And so I was like, okay, I guess this is it. It's halfway through. Now's the time. I think we can wind up a little bit. Let's see who can hang on. That and happens so a lot, I, doesn't it? It's like a lot of totally. times the separation happens at the aid station and then you have to like hit the gas at least a little bit, huh? Yeah. yeah. Make a decision of like, I'm not waiting. I feel good enough. Yeah. And so it, luckily there was a, a, another out and back to this uh, like Black Canyon City aid station around mile 37. So I was able to see everyone. Anne-Marie was like not far behind. But the craziest thing, Dylan, was Dominica, who's supposedly right, 704 100K runner. Everyone's talking about how fast this Polish girl is. She is fast, let me tell you, because she was 15 <laughs> minutes ahead of me Yeah, at mile 37. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going to catch her yeah, unless yeah. she blows up. And in my mind, I'm like, well, this is why it's an ultra. I'm like, ah, David said, if I feel good at 37, like the rest is... He's like, it's going to be a good race if you're smiling at 37. And I was smiling at 37. David, at some point, <laughs> I think, posted that you were as far back as nearly 30 minutes behind Dominica. <laughs> is, is that is that accurate? Uh, that probably was early on, if that's but, possible. Wow. I mean, that's, that's huge. So, yeah. I mean, you had a smile yeah. on. That means that you weren't totally discouraged by the split yeah. to Dominica. Well, and I knew how well I was feeling. Like I was taking an extra bottle. It seemed like most people were only fueling with two soft flasks. And I had grabbed three um, at mile 20 because it's like it's 80 degrees out. What? <laughs> so smart. Yeah. You know, and I just chugged it and it was probably 200 calories of, of um, you know, powder, honey singer powder. And, and so that kind of stuff, I was just feeling so proud of myself. And I'm like dude, this is an ultra and all these little things add up and I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, on your Strava, you <laughs> said, I drank a fuck ton. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if that's a scientific <laughs> measurement, uh, yeah. but what a great but lesson. Like, yeah. You know, we have aid stations. No one's, no, we're not, no one's out here trying to like, you know, be a hero and like get by on not a lot of water. It's like, I, I I'm aided yeah. in a hundred K like I'm going to drink Super as much smart. as I possibly can. And the gels, um, did so it feel like I a hot there... day? Cause it was supposedly oh, 80 dude. degrees. Dude, it was, it was disgustingly hot. Do you think that your time in Hawaii <laughs> right before the race helped out with that acclimatization rather than being in Boulder right before? 100%. Yeah. I have so much gratitude to the big island. I mean, like truly, uh, if you're trying to run in a hot race in the winter, like it's, I think it's really, really hard to get that adaptation yeah. in a cold climate. You know, we have, um, buddy, a dear friend, Eric LaPuma and, um, 
my partner's cousin, Joanna, come came from Stowe, Vermont. Yeah. Actually, it's Richmond. They're running like negative 30. And it's just like, how how can you compete? So, I mean, it's possible. But Dominica, actually, she she's like lives in Poland, I'm yeah. pretty sure. And uh, she said she was training in negative temps. Yeah. So, so, so and same with Anne Marie. She's training in Canada. So it's not impossible, but I love the heat and the fact that I was like, oh my God, it is so hot. Yeah. Means it was, I, I think it was a really hot day. Yeah. Well, great job. And you said in your Strava that you got a visual of Dominica with about three miles to go. So, I mean, it came down to the wire. Do you want to just kind of describe those last few miles before we move on to the declining of the golden ticket? <laughs> yeah. So we, there's like one aid station at three and a half to go. And I'm like kind of rocking up. I'm like, all right, let's get, let's, let's, you know, put a bow on this. And I, I honestly thought I was in second. I just thought she was so far ahead, you yeah. know, but I, I was working. I wanted to have a proud time. And, uh, and the aid station volunteers are like, by the way, the lead girl's 30 seconds ahead. And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I had no, I was none the wiser. And so I just, I, I gathered my water and I, I just absolutely took off. I mean, I didn't take off at like a 550 pace, yeah. but I took off at probably like close to like 730 pace for the end of a hundred K, which feels like it's the fastest, you know, ever. Yeah. Cause there was kind of a two by two track. So it wasn't single track. It was like really runnable. And, um, and I saw her and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to catch her. And we exchanged, you know, some, some nice sort of congratulations to each other. I told her, I was like, don't worry, I'm not taking a ticket. You're going to get a ticket. Yes. <laughs> and she was like, how far are they? I was like, you're fine. You're fine. You just don't, just so don't she stop. was, she was probably hurting from that early hot clip that yeah. she was running. Yeah. I mean, she did not, I, I actually am curious. I wonder if anyone can figure out, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. How she's doing. She did not, um, she wasn't looking that good. great in the heat. Yeah. Yikes. I think the heat just was like that gnarly. Yeah. So, well, it was super exciting to watch both races and, and the men's race, yeah. Treehart Brown went wire to Craig. wire and Dominica <laughs> nearly pulled it off until you caught her in the last three miles of the race, which rarely happens in ultras as we all know, but, uh, brave performances from both of them and a very well executed race from yourself for another just awesome victory. And you've been so solid in your career and you have so many of these just big wins at big races and you always show up. And I think, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of people who are curious as to why you decided to decline the golden ticket to Western States. As we've talked about earlier in the conversation, you DNF to mile 93, then you won the damn race <laughs> and then you slogged it out for a 17th place. So you've been to Western States three separate times, but talk about the decision to not take the golden ticket, because obviously you just mentioned that you came to black Canyon with the intention that you weren't going to take the ticket. So wh why is that? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I made this decision more or less like after I finished States last year, it was that like, I need a year off from this, this yeah. race. Um, it is such a special scene, you know, you've done super well there multiple times. Um, I, 
It, well, okay. First of all, I, I get, I finished the race and the, the person I'm actually most concerned about telling is Craig Thornley. He, he texted me. <laughs> we, we were, yeah, we were texting. Yeah. He was like, yeah, Claire didn't intend to take the ticket. <laughs> So. Yeah, well, because as I'm leading up and, you know, you don't want to spray. So I didn't really want to announce that I wasn't going to take the ticket because that's like, I, I'm just not, I wasn't like betting on myself before Black Canyon, even though I did, I did go to Black Canyon with the intention to win. For like sure. if I'm going to a race fit, you know, it's what we're all doing. We're trying to win. So I just didn't feel like I needed to say, by the way, I'm not taking the ticket. Um, but uh, I guess backing up a year ago, I'm like, I just really want to be able to focus on some mountain stuff at home. Mm-hmm. Um, especially while I have like a bit of speed still, uh, shorter FKTs. I mean, I've, uh, I've only been up my backyard 14er once. I've literally only summited longs once in my life. And I'm like, what? This is the most beautiful mountain on the planet. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, so there's, there's just like a lot of stuff at my fingertips, a lot of um, opportunities, trails, um, explorations that I am really eager to just dive into this, this summer. And can you be more specific, you know, please, Claire, are you going for the FKT on <laughs> longs? I mean, the other thing is like for, for, for me and for a lot of observers of the sport, it's like, well, Claire's not doing Western States. That means she's focused hundred percent on UTMB, but you're not on the UTMB mm. list. So what yeah, are you doing? What are you doing? Well, it's funny because, yeah, I don't even know what I'd have to do to get into that lottery again. I'm like, how do you qualify for UTMB? Because <laughs> right? I, I wasn't, well, I know, I know, Dylan. I yeah. just, I pre-COVID, I didn't, I was like, I'm going to take a year off Europe. Yeah. And then, so, you know, it's just a couple years have gone by where I'm like, yeah, I'll eventually get back to that. But there's just so much in my backyard. Like, my, uh. I, my eyes are bigger than, I, I just can't get over that, um, and I don't even have an answer to your questions of really wow. I, I literally don't like they'll come. Um, I think there is a chance I would do a hundred this summer, and it would be in Colorado. Um, I, I mean, yeah, there's if if I'm going to do a hundred, I would I would consider well, that that uh, the, okay. I was going to say that narrows yeah. it down to like High Lonesome yeah, yeah. and Leadville and yeah, Ure yeah. And, Maybe a couple yeah. others, but that's awesome. I mean, you've won that race in the past and obviously there's, uh, some incredible women who've competed there and, uh, does, I think Ann Trayson still has a very stout yeah, course record. Does. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the year I ran it, I was 24, didn't know anything. Um, yeah, I was 30 minutes off her course record. So yeah. like no one's even gotten close cause yeah. I had the second fastest time mm-hmm. and, um, I'm also signed up for the day of state's San Juan solstice, which is like, supposedly that's always been a bucket lister for me, in the San yeah. Juans, you know? So, um, but so I finished the race at black Canyon and I see Craig Thornley and I'm like, Oh, here's the man I want to like, you know, kind of give a hug. Cause I basically, I love States. I want to go back. I want to go back multiple times in, in the next, in the next 10 years, like yeah. without a doubt. And I want to show up and I want to try and win States again for sure. Um, it's just not my year this year, you know, and I'm going to have to work my tail to get back in my tail off. Um, but that's okay. You know, and like Taylor and Olin got a ticket out of it. So I'm glad like, uh, it's, you know, it's actually a a good story. I think that's come from black Canyon because all six 
of the people who are going to Western states are first timers. You would have been the only person to be a repeat Western states runner from that golden ticket field. And I think it adds somewhat of a interesting dynamic to the Western states start list to have six first timers get their golden ticket at Black Canyon. And it'll be really entertaining. Well, and they obviously could do well in the heat, Yeah, you know, so yeah, it'll be so entertaining. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, good for so you I'll be for a like very happy spectator. Yeah, it's very good for, very happy. It's great to have that self awareness because there is probably just some internal pressure of like, oh man, like I could go back and win that thing again. <laughs> Especially having such a strong day in the heat at Black Canyon and the race being as important as it, as it is. It's pretty impressive to have the self awareness to think no, you know, this isn't my year. I've got other goals. I've got other things that I want to do in order to go back to Western States with that feeling of excitement and motivation and hunger to perform there again. And to know that you just don't have it right now, but that it'll come back eventually. That's pretty awesome. Like, you know, you got to have that feeling, right? That, that deep, almost like guttural yearning for a race that takes that much out of you. And to be honest, like, I think I'm still recovering from running the Western States of 2019, like the emotional and physical, like really the emotion, like around. One of the great women's finishes ever. (laughs) And, and for all, like, think of like your, like your best hundred, right? Mm -hmm. What would you say is your best hundred finish? Hard rock or ultra trail Mount Fuji from 18. Those two. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Dude, do you feel like you're still recovering from hard rock? Well, no, but Claire, this is, this is a good anecdote because I did Western States one too many years. You know, I, I did what you're not doing. So in 2014, (laughs) I finished third after finish, finishing seventh, fifth, and then third. And I was like, okay, next year I'm going to win this damn race. Right. Cause I progressed (laughs) seven, five, three, and then it has to be one. And, and but I knew throughout the entire training block, just like I couldn't get myself that same feeling, that same motivation. I just didn't have it that next year. And I should have taken the year off in 2015 rather than going back because I ultimately DNF'd one of my only DNFs in my entire career. And, uh, in retrospect, it's so glaringly obvious, like you should have taken that year off from Western States and gone back some other time. And now I'm like, well, I'm just going to anchor the live stream from now on. (laughs) I'm sort sort of uh, retired from that race, but who knows? Never say never. Well, Claire, it's been such a, it's been such a joy to reconnect and and chat again. Uh, I feel like, you know, you and I always have a great time and, uh, you know, joke around quite a bit in our, our text yeah. exchanges and whenever we see each other. And, Training uh, starts tomorrow, tra- everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's our motto. That's <laughs> our inside joke between Claire and I. Training starts yeah. tomorrow. And it's usually we're telling each other that after, you know, sucking down a couple that's of beers, right. knowing that we're going to be useless yeah. the following day. So <laughs> training yeah. starts tomorrow. In closing, Claire, is there anything else that you're like excited about right now? Aside from, I mean, you mentioned you're going back to to grad school what you start in the fall is that right yeah yeah hopefully. awesome so any yeah. anything else that you're sort of like excited to expend your intellectual energy on everybody knows that you're not the the one-dimensional athlete type person what else has you excited uh as a closing question yeah 
one thing that's been uh, top of mind recently is this um, issue actually not far from Black Canyon. It's called Oak Flat is a place about 40 miles east of Phoenix. And it's um, a sacred place to the San Carlos Apache. It's uh, been their ancestral lands, you know, since you know, time began, more or less. Uh, and unfortunately, it's it's on the on the docket to be turned into a copper mine and it's a really wild story of a like a, it's called a midnight rider that happened in the 2015 national defense authorization act at the last moment you know where where senators were trying to pack in pork is what that's what they call it mm-hmm. and it was a it was a pretty gnarly and um uh undoubtedly illegal land exchange between a foreign mining company and um uh Unfortunately, it was uh, Senator John McCain who 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 uh, did this land exchange, and um, so so basically, <laughs> this tribe is like trying to get their land back. Their land's worth one hundred and twelve billion dollars by an independent observer, and the land that was traded on their behalf, like illegally, is worth seven million dollars. Like, and it's not their sacred land, so uh. it's just like this wild, crazy thing. Um, that that hopefully can be reversed through an, another act of Congress. Rep. Um, Grijalva of Arizona has a bill called Save Oak Flat, um, and and hopefully with some help from the Biden administration. Um, so, but what's really cool, Dylan, is this high school teacher out of Phoenix, uh, Brophy Prep is what it's called. His name's Cooper Davis. He he runs. He gets. The, these students to run a relay from Flagstaff. So it's like this sick 200 mile relay from Flagstaff to Oak flat. It's happening this Thursday um, to raise awareness about Oak flat. And he got like the whole native American tribe to join in there. They represent, I think like 11 different tribes from around the country, as far as Alaska. And they're doing this, this awesome relay. And there's going to be a gathering on Saturday. I don't know when this is going to come out. So it might be um, in the past, but I, I highly recommend everyone to look up Oak Flat. Um, it's also, if, if rock climbers are listening, it's, it's one of the best rock climbing uh, crags in, in the Southwest. Yeah. Like that's actually where like Tommy cut his teeth growing up competitions and, and stuff. And so effectively this, sacred land is now going to be opened up for resource extraction. Is that the gist? Yeah, exactly. And it would be an underground copper mine, which poses a lot of like sinkhole threat to um, a large, large area. Is there a, is there a way that you can send me some info that I can include in the show notes or at least just like a a link where people could potentially get involved. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been kind of, I'm surprised there's been a lot written about it in national level media. Um, I don't think it's just gotten that spark quite yet of, yeah. um, of what's going to happen. Well, once this uh, podcast is released, you know, millions of people are going to be <laughs> activated. <laughs> no, but seriously, this is, this yeah. is really cool. And I think this is why people really love and admire you as an athlete and as a person, because like, it is about more than just like going and winning black Canyon. It's about saving these sacred lands. And, uh, we need leaders like you. And I keep pressuring you to run for political office and I'm going to come, <laughs> I'm going to come, you know, volunteer for your staff. And no, uh, Devo, Devo, I am fully, I will, I will support your campaign. Yeah. Come on, man. I will support your campaign. Yeah. No. You know, um, yeah. So look up Oak Flat, everyone. And 
you know, that's might not be in your backyard, but as long as we just keep, keep, you know, talking about what's at risk and keep protecting what we love, like we're so, so lucky. No doubt. If, if we're able to be running on these trails, um, wherever we are, gosh, just, uh, gratitude for that. Yeah. Well, gratitude for you, Claire, congratulations on an awesome victory. I hope that you update your blog soon since you're not on social media anymore (laughs) with an in-depth race report that we can all, uh, read so that we can get some more of the great details of an awesome performance and uh yeah keep us posted as to what you do this summer we'll be excited to follow but appreciate your time on the podcast and let's catch up again soon thank you so much Debo. much love to you and harms okay thanks so much to claire that was such a fun episode for me i'm just such a big fan of claire's and i love how she is so willing to do everything in her own way marching to her own drum, uh, whether it relates to training or social media use or advocacy for various issues. She's just the best. Can't wait to see what she ends up focusing on in the summer. In the show notes, you'll find links to all things Claire, including the Oak Flat issue that we talked about at the very end of the episode. Also go to Claire's website, subscribe to her blog, Claire.run is the URL. She just put up the race report from her Black Canyon race. And I have to say, it makes me nostalgic for the old days when we all used to post race re- race recaps on our blogs. Uh, since then, things have transitioned to social media, but Claire being the independent thinker she is, she is going back to the blog. Go read the long form account of her experience at Black Canyon and that phenomenal victory. A big thank you to Speedland and Gnarly Nutrition for their support of the show. Find the discount codes and appropriate links in the show notes to take advantage of these great products. Really appreciate everything they do to help us remain a viable business. Big thanks to all of you as well. Really do appreciate you for being here. The passionate trail runners of the world, You guys are the best. Thank you for giving me your time and attention. I really do appreciate it. It means a lot. Talk to you all very soon. Love you so much. Bye-bye.